for sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And I'm Jay. All right. So uh, what we're going to do today, today is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode um, because a lot of the things that we would talk about, a lot of the kind of the news of the day, as it were, are things that we've talked about before. And so we don't want to just kind of say the same thing that we've said in previous episodes, but at the same time, like we'd be doing you a disservice if we didn't at least talk about a little bit. So we're going to, we're going to do some, um, kind of more rapid fire segments since the, the beginning. We're going to talk about three things that have happened recently. Then we're going to talk a little bit more at length about the, the current playoff series. We are recording this, um, on Saturday evening, actually right now it's really close to puck drop for the um, the Pittsburgh Washington uh, game, and uh, it'll be a boring one. I can already tell. You. Yeah, yeah, exactly, nothing at stake in this one, folks. You can probably just wait around for Saturday Night Live after this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, two two. These teams hate each other. Um, obviously. Washington has a bone to settle with Pittsburgh in terms of continuing to knock them out of the playoffs. Um, so <laughs> a bone to so yeah, pick with everything. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is going to be a barn burner. Um, when you listen to this podcast, if you listen to it on Monday, when it comes out, um, one of these teams will be playing for the series win. the other team will be playing to hold on. At, obviously when you listen to it, you'll know who that is. But as of right now, we don't know yet. Um, a little bit later, also, after we talk about the playoffs, we're going to have an interview, as we always do, or almost every episode, um, with C. Morley. She is the managing editor for Fear of the Fin, which is the San Jose Sharks uh, SB Nation site. So we're going to be recording that interview Sunday night. Uh, so it could be interesting because right now, as we'll talk about, the Sharks are down three to two. And we will probably be recording the interview at least partially during that uh, game six. So you could actually hear a fan die in real time, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course. We're all about pushing the envelope here on for sure. We're here to bring you cutting edge entertainment in the hockey sphere. So be ready. Be ready for later in this episode. <laughs> you, you could hear the light go out of her eyes, as it were. Um, <laughs> yes, much like tears will disappear in the rain, much like the memories of Roy Batty and Blade Runner. Uh, he's not long for this world, folks. It's uh you know, we've seen uh, star fires across Tenhauser Gate. It's rough <laughs> out there. So, speaking of rough, uh, yeah. Peter, um, there's a player that is obviously the center of the hockey safety world right now, and uh, his name is Tom Wilson. And for the for you cinephiles out there, it is not Tom Wilson, aka Biff Tannen of the Back to the Future franchise. I know it's really hard to get those guys confused. One guy's a bully. Another guy's a bully. It's really it's really hard to figure out. But we are, in fact, talking about Tom Wilson on the Capitals. So, Peter, why don't you give us an update on what is happening? Because eh, if I kept talking, I might scream. So you never okay, know. Okay, so 
Washington Capitals forward Tom Wilson was suspended three playoff games uh, by the Department of Player Safety this past Wednesday, so a couple days ago, um, for a hit to the head of Pittsburgh Penguins forward Zach Aston Reese in game three of the team's Eastern Conference semifinal series. So basically, the game before, the game prior, some people were upset. Some people felt that Tom Wilson deserved to be suspended for something else he did in in that game he was coming up behind uh behind a player i think it was dumoulin right brian yep. dumoulin yeah so he's coming up behind brian dumoulin and they're they're kind of circling the back of the net and do du- you know dumoulin's taking the puck around uh around the back of the net and and trying to, to break it out and ovechkin comes in from the front and so dumoulin turns and then wilson from behind clips his head and kind of the big argument here, the big reason why people were saying this shouldn't be a suspension is because they were saying that um, Dumoulin's head moved because of Ovechkin coming, which, which is true. He, he did turn, he did move his head, but at the same time, it's not like his head went from above his shoulders to his hips. Um, His head was still head height. And so when Tom Wilson moved through he was moving through where his head had always been it just he didn't have access to it prior now i don't think that one was as black and white i do think that tom wilson did that on purpose the reason i think that tom wilson did that on purpose is because he has proven himself to be a predatory player he seems to always be in these situations whereas there are a ton of players who play very physically who try to hit players almost every shift and they don't seem to be finding themselves in these situations where they need to be given the benefit of the doubt repeatedly and over and over and over and over again. But anyway, so fast forward one more game and Aston Reese was coming up the ice with the puck and Wilson was going off on a change and then he saw Aston Reese basically come around another player, like, like kind of come around the corner almost like I was in the middle. It was like right near the benches, but it was like, you know, he kind of came around the other side of the player and he lined him up. And if you watch as he was about to make contact, you could see his, his body shift upward. Like he, his, he, he leaned forward on his skates as opposed to like staying down. Um, and actually, this was pointed out by Dan uh, Dan Carcillo, who is known for making lots and lots of dirty hits. And my probably one of my favorite things about this on Twitter was when Dan Carcillo posted a um, like a thread about it, and somebody said, "Yeah, you you made a lot of dirty hits in the NHL." And he said, "That's how I know." <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, yes, the yeah. the old one plus one equals two routine. Yeah. And so yeah. if you remember if you remember our last episode, we talked about how the Department of Player Safety released a video that as we discussed, you know, definitely did clarify some things like like it did it did put forth what their what their their criteria is. Now obviously people can disagree with maybe should that be the criteria or are they interpreting it uh, uh consistently, but at least they like they put it out there. This is what we're looking for. You know, they, they were talking about is the head, the primary point of contact, which is not initial. Um, it has to be the primary point of contact. And was it avoidable? And in this case, the Department of Player Safety did a really good job in their video of showing that 
number one, the head was the principal point of contact. There, there was one view that made it look like it was shoulder to shoulder, but the other view, which was basically from behind Wilson, shows that Wilson's shoulder kind of glanced off of Aston Reese's shoulder and then made pretty full contact with his face. Um, like I was saying in our comment section, when people were trying to say that, you know, it, it was shoulder to shoulder, I was like, well, then, like, like, wh- when did the part where he broke his jaw happen? Like, how did that happen? So it, it wasn't I mean, it was obvious that he hit him in the head. And the other thing they said is that it was avoidable because, as they pointed out, Tom Wilson turned his body and hit him with the the opposite shoulder that he pro- that he normally would have. And. The only reason to do that was to kind of come around his shoulder and hit him on the other side. And so because of that, he was suspended for three games, which according to there was a really fascinating interview with Brian Burke in the latest issue or latest edition of 31 Thoughts, the podcast, where he pretty much confirmed something that has is not really been a secret, but I don't think I've ever seen it actually like published where a playoff game is worth a certain number of regular season games and it, and it gets more as it goes. I think he said basically the first round is about two games per one game. And so you would imagine that the second round would probably be three games, you know, maybe two to three games per one game. You know, so this is the equivalent of like a nine game suspension, you know, eight or nine game suspension. So this is, you know, a, a pretty big crackdown by the league. And for me, it was just kind of interesting to see the, the battle lines being drawn and to see the people who defended this as the people who supported it. So, like I said, we don't want to spend a ton of time, but um, so Jay, what did you, what did you think about this? Did you think this was right? Uh, you know, on, on the part of the department of player safety? I, I'd say yes. I think there is. Un- it's kind of weird that we are in a conversion chart world with this type of thing where it's like, Hey, during the regular season, this will net you about a 10 gamer, but mm-hmm. because it's the playoffs, you know, I, I understand, yes, like the, the importance of, of a playoff game is obviously different than, than regular season ones, but I don't know. I I I I guess I hope this doesn't uh set a adverse precedent of hey, just wait until the playoffs and then you'll only get three games, right? Like we yeah. obviously don't want that to be a thing. So I'm you know was was he fined as well, or is it just a straight suspension? Well, I, I mean, anytime there's a suspension, the player loses salary. So, right, but know, I feel like on top of that, it makes sense to have you know a, a some sort of additional fine. It's like you're not only losing money that you would be earning in the first place, but now you're losing more because of your harebrained antics of like, oh, I don't know, going to hurt other players. So, I mean, again, we are talking about what's agreeable in the CBA, and it's not like this yeah. stuff can be changed overnight, but. You know, I, 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 with every situation like this, obviously opens up a little bit of the uh, discussion panel on are the rules in place accomplishing what we need or hope for them to to to, to do? And I like to think that, yeah, in this in this context, yeah, like three games, that's a lot, especially when you're a a, a player trying uh, to to win a playoff series and I I guess I I don't know, Pete, I don't know what else. Obviously, under the CBA, things can be done, or I don't know what else could be talked about in the in 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 the off season. But between general managers, it, it's you know they've they've gone 
they're they're they are currently Edison with the rules about hits to the heads right now. They're not finding one way to fix it. They're finding fifteen thousand ways not to. So, uh, and I think I used that stupid analogy the last podcast. <laughs> so I apologize. I'll I'll go online and find more kids. But the the subject is still the same. I I'm very curious as to where ultimately this will lead because you know as it, as it stands, they're the phrase illegal check to the head in the books would lead one to think, okay, so that means there's a legal check to the head, right? So I think the, fir- I think the first hit was like, uh, like you said, a little bit uh, grayer just because it's pretty much, I if I'm Dumlin and I see Ovechkin there coming in, the move I need to make to protect myself is to lessen my speed and maybe try and have a little bit more maneuverability to avoid that hit. But in the process, that obviously leaves me vulnerable and then here comes Wilson. And then I think the onus is on Wilson. You know, we already, and we said it a bunch of times already. These hits are not slow. They are not slow hits. They are not, you know, oops, I, my, the, the front of my car was hanging out of the, you know, the front of the driveway here and got clipped by the garbage can, right? Like these are, or the garbage truck. These are, like, these guys are full bore. 30-second shifts, they have most of the energy that they need to be able to skate up and down the ice as fast as they can. They're running into each other at what feels like the speed of light. So when you have a player like Wilson seeing an opportunity to put some hurt on somebody, either legally or illegally, you know, that's – think of the tools he has at his disposal versus what other t- other players had 10 years ago, 15 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, I think with the – with this, I don't know. I, I guess I would have liked to have seen maybe one more game just to really hammer it home because this isn't about hammering it home for him too. It's about hammering it home for everybody else playing because if the dog ears are going to go up for the rest of the league being like, holy crap, Tom Wilson just got four games for that hit. Maybe I should reallocate or rethink how I'm going to try and deliver hits moving forward because that's I get you'd have to think that that's the ripple effect that they want to have. But if guys are going to continue to do stuff, then you know the the punishment is going to be different. You know, is it is it really going to take like you're done for the rest of the playoffs to get guys to not hit each other in the head? It's weird. It, it's just really weird. Where what is the incentive behind? Oh, okay, so you you take a guy out of a game. Really? Okay, congratulations. The spirit of the game is completely gone because not only are you gone and you can't help your team, supposedly, but then you put another guy's career at risk. Like, there's the amount of selfishness is it's a lot. So, yeah. yeah. Sit and watch you think about You think about what you did, Tom Wilson, <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, speaking of jerks, let's. Oh. Um, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna let you introduce this next one, but I'm gonna start you off with uh, by reading a tweet from uh, from Chris Johnson. Uh, it's a quote from uh, Bruins coach uh, Bruce Cassidy, and here's the quote: "Brad has to stop licking. That's the end of the story." And no, first of all, this is not about DJ Khaled. Um, so. <laughs> Good one. Because I think that's he has to start. But so, um, so, so, Jay, so what did our good friend Brad Marchand get up to? I think, well, it's funny how you say, uh, bring up one tweet because I myself will also bring up another chain of tweets, which was the league tweeting out an article saying that the league has reached out to the Bruins to tell him, don't lick people. (laughs) Marchand replies with, 
this is not true. And then our everyone's favorite Anthrax Jones replies, prove it by licking more people. <laughs> so now that we have now that we have lick dose on yes. our radar, yes. lick lick numero uno, z- ground zero lick has been yeah. established. Now we have a second incident I'm trying to figure out what the CDC um, <laughs> lingo is here because we're talking about like, you know, hey, there's the, I believe Marchand is now becoming patient zero yeah. for whatever league wide mumps case is going to come out of this, but that's neither here nor there. So um, during another recent uh Stanley Cup playoff matchup between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins. Uh, Callahan and Marchand, uh, you know, we're, we're having some words. But then all of a sudden, Marchand, probably in a fit of crazed playoff hysteria, saw Callahan morph into a popsicle, kind of like he's on a bad acid trip, and just really wanted to lick. Hey, you never know. How, first of all, let's let's be honest, Pete. Maybe Marshand is raising awareness for an issue that we have yet to really put all of our available resources towards, and that's how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. So <laughs> yeah. maybe this is Marshand's under-the-radar protest about how we have all of this technology. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't figure out how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. So in that regard, maybe he's onto something. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that he has gone completely insane, and... I mean, just I you gotta wonder what on what on earth do you do as the Tampa Bay Lightning before the next game? It's like, do you think do you think Cooper comes in and is like, all right, boys, you gotta get pokes deep, gotta stay fresh out there, make your line changes clean, and if uh, Marshan tries to lick you, uh, just uh, try not to let it bother you. All right, let's get out there. You know how? Like, or or does like Stamkos like call a secret meeting right before? Like, okay, I know he's been licking everybody. We. Here's here's what we do. We have to establish dominance. So if any of him, if any of you get licked, you have to lick him back. Otherwise, you're just giving him more power. All right. So that's how it is, folks. I'm telling you right now. That's the secret method to stop Marchand from licking people. You have to establish yourself as the alpha licker. Yeah. <laughs> or and, and maybe this will stop. But or, or it makes or him more powerful. I don't know. Or I think the other thing that we could do is. Um, like for for my dog Bowie, when in when we first adopted her, we didn't want her to jump on the couch, and um, like she would try to like like dig like dig a hole, but she would try to dig it into the couch. Um, and and I don't even think she was trying to destroy it. I think it was just like a, like kind of like a dog's digging like you know digging instinct from what I read. And so we had to get this uh, this spray called Bitter Yuck, and. It is. I don't know if you've ever smelled this. It is absolutely disgusting. Um, I didn't realize that spraying too much of it was going to have kind of like a backfire effect. And I ended up breathing in some of it and I wanted to die for several minutes. Uh, it's it, like I, I kind of felt like I would never I would never regain my sense of tasting good things again. So maybe the Bruins need to just put some of that on their, on their hands and just like wipe their face with it. But at the same time, I mean, obviously we're being we're being facetious because I, I guess at least for me, it's just because it's such a ridiculous thing. Like. I I really think it's as simple as Marchand is like, what can I do to get them mad at me? And 
like, 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 I don't think there's a specific reason why he's doing it. Now, I don't think that that's a good defense against some of the potential, uh, you know, effects of doing it. I mean, obviously, it's it's gross from just from a, a germ standpoint. Uh, to have somebody lick you is disgusting, you know, but on the other hand, I mean, I think you could definitely make a, a good argument that there's, you know, licking somebody is like over the line in terms of like harassment, you know, sexual behavior kind of, I mean, cause that, that is a really intimate thing and it's not, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's totally out of bounds in this, in this area. And so I think regardless of why it's a bad thing, you know, I think, I think people can debate, you know, what's, why it's bad but i think it's pretty much universally accepted that this is this is not acceptable you know no no matter no matter why you want to say it's not acceptable it's not acceptable um and i mean i i think i think it's it's the fault of the league that they didn't just put a stop to this after the first time you know i i think it's, it's the fault of the league that they you know like you were saying like you know what do you think that the that the response of the lightning should be and like it's the league's fault that they have to even consider that you know what I'm saying? Like, there's like, like, like that's where the blame lies. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It, 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 and it's also such a goofy occurrence that I, I Pete, I think we're in Airbud territory right now because it's like there's no rules in the book against the dog being in the game. Yeah, we're I we don't have any anti-licking legislation mm. in the rule book. What are we? What are we? We. Like turnabout's fair play, I guess. Good one, Marshan. You got us on this one. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's just nuts. Yeah. But I just, I mean, it's basically, it's it's basically the Sean Avery thing, yeah. just just in a different way. Yeah, it's the yeah, Sean it Avery is. thing in a different way because well, Avery this this is Avery was the king of I'm not touching you. Yeah, I'm not touching exactly. you, and he and he's literally not touching you, which means yeah. that under the bylaws of i'm not touching i'm not touching you it is true he is in fact not touching you so it's like that type of thing but we are talking about forcible personal space intrusion and you don't know what his breath is like did he eat a ham sandwich before the game is he munching on some anchovies in between shifts like you don't know yeah like if i'm callahan and like what obviously callahan didn't smell rainbow sherbet right like it's This is not the most. It's it's a freaking hockey player's mouth. Yeah, like, that, like and we're all well versed in the right. smells that happen. It's not you know the Callahan berries take taste like Callahan. <laughs> um, but okay, so, oh, so yes, yeah, so, you know, so like we said, I mean, this is regardless of of why you think this is wrong, it's pretty much universally accepted that this is just like so far over the line that it's you know it's not even really worth kind of debating. If it is, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people can't talk about uh, or shouldn't talk about why it's wrong. And I think that there could be some really good discussions to be had there. Um, but I think, you know, just for the sake of time, I mean, it's 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 100 percent wrong. It's 100 percent out of bounds. All right, so um, we're recording this little uh, clip on Sunday night. Uh, we recorded the the discussion on uh, Brad Marchand yesterday. And so since uh, basically I saw something that I didn't know about at the time, I just wanted to take a second to add this in I think because I think it, cha- it changes the way that I would have would have discussed it. Um, basically, uh, after 
Marchand licked Leo Komarov uh, in the previous round. He made uh, he made some statements. He made some uh, some quotes where he said, "I thought he wanted to cuddle, and I just wanted to get close to him." And so, to me, you know, those statements there, I think, kind of show more of what he was trying to do. Um, which, you know, I think casts an even worse light on it because, you know, in addition to the grossness just from like a a hygiene standpoint, you know, it seemed very clear that he is trying to, um, I think the phrase that I saw was like kind of weaponized homophobia where, you know, he's trying to make them uncomfortable in a way that is, is, is just not okay. Um, and especially since he is the ambassador for his team, for the, uh, the, you can play project, uh, which I think is, you know, just makes it even worse. So anyway, um, I just wanted to drop that in, uh, because like I said, if I had, if I had known about those comments, somehow I missed them the first time. I think I would have, I would have talked about it a little differently. The fact remains he gets to now think about what he's done for the summer because he's no longer playing in the playoffs, Peter. <laughs> and so the licking has ended. I, I just hope that we can continue to remind him that his behavior is unacceptable. And um, your tea time is ready, sir. Before we move on to the series, uh, there, there's one piece of news that came came out uh, the other day, and we, we just wanted to talk about it really quickly. Um, I, I, I don't think we're even going to really spend a lot of time kind of like editorializing about this, but we basically just wanted to bring it to your attention because obviously, since even though this is an, an, an uh, NHL podcast and we, we talk about the entire league, because we start, you know, because we, we basically started with the whim subscriber base, most of the people, at least at this point, who listen to it are Red Wings fans. And so we just wanted to make sure that, that our listeners were aware of this just in case if you missed it. So a couple, uh, maybe about a week ago or a little bit less than a week ago, uh, Red Wings forward, or well, prospect uh, forward, uh, Giovanni Smith, he was suspended for giving the finger to the opposing bench and... At first, it was like, well, that's that's really disappointing. You know, why is he just, you know, I mean, you understand somebody getting upset at losing or whatever, but like, why is he going that far? And I remember at the time I said, you know, my comment was that I was disappointed that he did that, um, but I wasn't like, you know, okay, we're, you know, we're done with him. Like, screw this kid. You know, it wasn't anything like that. You know, I, I just, I didn't want to see him do that. Um, and then uh, today there was an article that came out that uh, there's an article that came out in the Waterloo region record. And they talked about basically like what happened around this incident and the fallout and the short version. And like I said, you should definitely read this. Um, if you, if you go on winging in Motown, there's an article about it. You can click on the link there. Uh, it's also on Twitter. You know, I saw it kind of all over Twitter. Basically the short version is that, you know, Giovanni Smith has been targeted uh, with racial abuse for for a while now by opposing fans. Uh, there were some really terrifying and terrible incidents that were recounted in the article, and it seems to be heavily implied in the article that there were there was language being used by opposing players, uh, although it didn't go into specific details. And basically, it, it sounds like Smith didn't want to talk about it, which I think is kind of like the really sad thing. And this is, you know, if, if you go back to uh, a long time, well, 
relatively long ago when when JT Brown uh, of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning did his his uh, fist up protest. Uh, it was you know around the time of the the NFL protests. You know, we, we, we kind of talked about how it's really unfair that the, uh, you know, the players of color in the league, like, seem, you know, have to bear like a, what would you call it? Like a disproportionate job or disproportionate uh, expectation of like talking about issues like this. And it really seems like the other players on their team should be standing up for them. And in, in the article, it definitely did seem like the coach of the team um, was very, very supportive of Smith. Like basically he said, which kind of ironically is what I said in the beginning, like, you know, he, he, he wishes that, that Smith hadn't, hadn't reacted the way he did, but at the same time, he understood like the reasoning, you know, he understood like the, you know, how, how it kind of got to this with the way that other people were treating him. So, like we said, you know, we don't want to spend like 10 or 15 minutes talking about it kind of partially because we've already talked about it. Um, but also because like, there's not really too much of a discussion to be have. It's not like Jay and I are going to disagree. I mean, it's pretty much, this is just, unca- this is absolutely unacceptable in society. It's unacceptable in hockey. And basically, you know, there's, there's people who are part of the problem who are obviously the people who are doing this, but also the people who are seeing this happen and aren't doing anything to stop it. And that's hard. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I'm a high school teacher. I talk, I talk about this sometimes that, that I'm a high school teacher. And one of the things that we talk about, you know, because, you know, I'm an English teacher, we read books and we talk about like, for example, in the book, the kite runner, there's a character and I don't, I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't read it. Cause it's a phenomenal book, but there's a character who as a young child of about, I think 10, he technically has the opportunity to make a choice to try to stop something horrible from happening. And when I talk to my students about it, they're always like, oh, yeah, if I were him, I would have done it. And I, I have to look at it. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You, you absolutely wouldn't. Like, it's easy to say that you would now, but it's hard to actually do it. And, and now in that situation, by trying to stop, he would have put his own life in danger. So it's a little bit different than, you know, standing up to somebody who is being a bully or something like that. But it's, it's a lot easier to say that you would actually stop something or actually say something if you saw this than to actually do it. Um, but, you know, basically it's to be part of the solution, which is, you know, don't let that happen. If you see it happening in your arena, if you see it happening with your friends, you say something that, you know, that's, that's, that's not right. That's not okay. Um, and basically, you know, it's not going to be until more people do that, that we're going to not see this happen. Absolutely. Uh, I have, you know, it, there has to be better, better everything. And I know that's such a grandiose and nonspecific thing and it's very vague, but it like, when you look at this story, like you, I, my first thing is like everything has to change, literally everything. And it's not, and I don't think that's out of bounds to say, like literally everything has to change. This isn't about changing tiny things. We're talking about a player who wants to play the game of hockey and spectators and players take it upon themselves to use their either insecurity or very poor morals or absurd views on people regardless of race, creed, age, gender, like mm-hmm. using their hatred and, 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 and making a, another human life completely and absolutely horrible. And 
And like you, like you said, I saw the thing about him flipping off the car and I'm like, gosh, you know, this guy's kind of having a rough go of it now, huh? You know, like he, he's a prospect. You want him to, to do well. I've heard about him on and off since we've drafted him. And it's like, you hear, you know, good, some good stuff here, but then some good stuff there. He had the incident with the ref earlier in the year. So you're like, gosh, you know, I hope, I hope he can pull it together. But then like, it's just so soul crushing to see that this is a driving force behind it, which is the the hatred of uh, and, and ignorance and just downright meanness of not like non empathetic people and non loving people and non caring people and non human people just giving this guy the gears for no other reason other than they feel that they themselves don't know how to fix this problem. So they feel they have to lash out to another person to try and fill or fix whatever weird feeling they have. And it's absolutely disgusting. And, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not saying this because this is what I want somebody to do, but like my, my first thought when reading the, the article was if I'm Ken Holland, I would have found a way to just go talk to him. Right. Just, Mm. Like you're obviously the GM right now, and you're you're keeping an eye on it. But I feel like if if I'm a prospect in, in in a giant large organization, who themselves were the target of such controversy earlier uh, earlier last year, and they were so right and forceful and very stand up and emphatic about how they do not associate themselves with the type of things that Giovanni Smith is being subjected to. I would do everything in my power as an organization to reinforce that you want Smith there. You want Smith in the system. You want him to be a part of the winning and uh, more importantly, caring and loving culture that is the Detroit Red Wings. And yeah, I mean, I myself, I, I, all I want to do is buy him a beer right now. I mean, I don't (laughs) think he's of age, but he's in Canada right now in Canada age is 19. So Listen, if ever I get a chance to see him, all I want to do is shake his hand and say, like, listen, I've I've read about everything you've been you've been going through and you've gotten this far and you're still fighting. And I'm and like, first of all, it's a testament to your character. But second, I'm so effing sorry that you, like no one else should have, like so many people don't have to go through what you do. Yeah. Right. Like so many people have the only thing that they have to worry about is just the adversity of not being as skilled as some other guys. Right. But now we're bringing these absolutely irrelevant features of the color of my skin, the, the, my sexual orientation, what I like, who I support. We're all of a sudden we're not, like, all of a sudden that's something I now have to worry about where all I'm trying to do is play hockey, but now I have to worry about what I look like. It's, it's really sad. And, and, Giovanni, uh, by if by happenstance you're listening to this, I'm I'm pulling for you, dude. And if you're ever in in Detroit, I'm I will sneakily get you somewhere where we can enjoy just a <laughs> quiet drink and just be like, listen, this is terrible. It's tough, but like he's he's sticking with. It. I mean, he could have easily left by now, right, Pete? He could have easily been done. But yeah. no, he, he he appears to want to have have a say in his in his destiny about this stuff because I don't think he's going to be a product of of the of the treatment that he's done. I think he would have reacted the way anybody else would have reacted in that regard. 
because you want to you want to defend yourself. I mean, it's it's very easy to bring up Jackie Robinson in this regard. But there's been a lot of times where Jackie cracked too, but it was because of the community of people around him, because of his teammates, he was able to find center with them as well. So this is also a call out to his teammates. You see what he's going through. Don't let him stand there alone. That's the it's the most gut wrenching thing to see somebody go through this stuff alone. And you know you can make a difference, so do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, well said, yeah. All right, so now we are um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have our interview. Like we said before, it's with uh, C Morley. She is the she is the managing editor of Fear the Fin, which is the SB Nation San Jose Sharks uh, website. So we will see you on the other side of that. Woo! And our interview this week in our very important and long-running Emmy Award-winning series, Interviews with Important Hockey People, we have C. Morley. She's the managing editor for Fear the Fin, the SB Nation site for the San Jose Sharks, and is a co-host of Blood, Sweat, and Teal, a Sharks podcast. She is Now You See Me on Twitter. Again, this is Mark's two shows in a row where people have cool handles that they don't have to worry about ever getting again. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, C, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you sound remarkably calm, given that at the time of this recording, your team could not play playoff hockey. So, uh, it, how, it, tell us your feelings. What? Are, how do you feel right now? Theoretically, should you have even accepted this interview? This is an exciting <laughs> time for us all. Oh uh, yeah, I'm panicking, so that's cool. I love I love stress. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy series, but I think ugh, there's just there's so many guys that we can kind of rely on in these elimination games that I'm almost not worried. Like I know I should be worried, but I'm kind of not. I don't know. I feel very I, I feel like weirdly calm about it. Well, I mean, the, the funny thing is, well, I guess not funny, but the, the interesting thing is that you're playing the Vegas Golden Knights, who you know, don't really have a, a, a long and storied history of, um, you know, game six heroics. Uh, in fact, this is the first game six that they played. So, I mean, it's, we, we've been talking about this all year ever, you know, ever since like the, the predictions, the, uh, you know, the preseason predictions and throughout the thing, it's basically throughout the season, it's basically been like, I will not believe that in the, in the Vegas golden Knights, even if they are up by four goals in, you know, game seven of the Stanley Cup finals, I will still somehow believe that they will fall flat on their face. So I pick San Jose in this series. So I really hope that your team comes through and uh, ends this this crazy, cra- like, you know, this crazy analytical uh, nightmare of trying to figure out how Vegas is doing this. Um, so, so I guess I'm going to tie that into a question, which is, you know, now that you've seen, you know, you've seen Vegas, obviously, in the playoffs, um, how are they doing it? You know, how are they how are they having this success with a team that is, you know, mostly relatively, you know, relative cast offs from other I mean, teams? when you when you look at, you know, how many other guys are performing above average, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Like that's what everyone is confused about. William Carlson goes from being a fourth liner to their top line guy who is just incredible. His shooting percentage is insane. And yeah, I mean, I don't have like a good answer. Like, obviously this is what they're doing because I think, I still think that they totally flubbed, you know, the expansion draft. They could have been an even better team than they already are. So, you know, 
I think this is one of those cases, and I hate to say this because I do believe so much in analytics, but I think that there are certain things that motivate players in different ways. Um, I think a new arena is a really big one. Last year with Edmonton, I feel like half of their their power and strength came from just like we want to impress people on home ice because we've got this shiny new arena. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that sometimes there are just things that like motivate those players that like we can't really quantify. Well, I, as a person who has been a fan of a team, I mean, again, my my per- – Professional pick was that the Knights were going to only go so far as the Western Conference final and then be fed to the meat grinder that is the Winnipeg Jets. Um, but I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, you know what? If there was going to be a team to 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 humble these Knights, why, why wouldn't <laughs> it be the team from San Jose who has experience bringing absurd Icarus-like teams crashing back down to earth of course, we're all referring to the Detroit Red Wings and getting <laughs> getting ousted by these said Sharks. So I would like to think that as far as history goes, you do have maybe some of the magic mojo on your side. Um, but, you know, it's uh, – I, right. I don't know. I, 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 think you, I think you did stumble upon a big part of that. I think we're looking at the perfect mixture of all of the – like it factors that would normally jump start a team like kind of in a funk, right? Like if, like for the Red Wings, like you think for yourself, like, oh, okay, so the Red Wings kind of stink right now, but they're getting a new building, so that'll bring some stuff. Whereas the the Vegas Knights, they had everything at once. They, the, yeah, it's like it's like buying a <laughs> a, a pre ordered video game with all the power ups ready to go. The, <laughs> behold the power of my dad's Mastercard, right? You have all the major, you have all the maxed out armor already, all the weapons, so everything's just a breeze. Right. I mean, you look at players in the NHL after they get traded, they almost always score like in their first game or second game with their new team. Right. So if you've got yep. an entire team of guys that were that feel unwanted by their their previous teams, like, <laughs> that's going to happen. They're, they're going to want to prove themselves. And I think they've really been able to come together as a unit and say, we want to prove ourselves as a team, not just as individuals. Which, you know, just just flop phenomenal uh results for everybody involved and yeah. we're all we're, it's just it's just it's just a golden knights world and we're all living in it speaking yeah, of oh oh good well what's crazy to me is that the sharks are almost like the least affected by the golden knights um in terms of the expansion draft you know the the knights yeah. took david schlemko who he had only played I want to say 60-something, 63 maybe, games with the Sharks. And he was injured for a lot of the season, wasn't super effective. And that's who they took. And he was immediately flipped to Montreal. Uh, the Char- the Knights do have Ryan Carpenter, who was uh, actually the leading scorer for the Barracuda in the postseason last year. He helped them get to the Western Conference Final. was kind of up and down between the NHL and AHL and just kind of fell flat this year. So... You know, he's fighting for minutes. He didn't even play, I think, in games two and three. So, you know, like, the the Vegas has nothing to prove against the Sharks, really. You know, there's Ryan Carpenter who's just trying to get on the ice, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I think you stumbled onto something here. And, Pete, you can and, – and I'll actually have a question after this one. But I think you stumbled <laughs> upon – I think we now have a formed theory, which is think of the – Golden Knights as Marvel's supervillain, the Super Scroll, the guy who has all of the Fantastic Four's powers, but in one person and can now use them. So 
if we're thinking about it, if the Golden Knights are the uh, summation of pieces of every league, that means every the, the, the Knights are just 30 pieces of kryptonite. But they got rid of the San Jose piece, which means San Jose has the best chance to get something done. So I, I think you actually cracked the code here. <laughs> and uh, and you heard it here. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so speaking of cast-offs, uh, when San Jose traded for Evander Kane, you had an awesome article discussing how you plan to cover someone who is both a player on the hockey team you cover, and then someone who's done things off the ice that, that he hasn't really like owned up to. So uh, how, how do you feel that piece has done? And, and, and how have you, how have you dealt with having Mr. Kane in, in a shark sweater? Yeah. Uh, you know, I wrote also our initial piece before that one came out. And I, I feel like these two pieces really go hand in hand. I, I kind of just took a look at the whole trade, everything about the trade, uh, you know, what the Sharks lost, which was Danny O'Regan, who ultimately was never going to su- succeed in the Shark system. So wasn't really a huge loss. Um, he had kind of split the season between the NHL and the AHL. And then uh, a couple of conditional picks in the future. Really not like a lot for a Vander Kane who is like a bona fide top six winger. So when you look at why the Sharks were able to get him for essentially nothing, it all comes down to reputation. It actually came out that the Sharks were the only real offer on the table for Evander Kane, which is insane because Buffalo had made it clear from the get-go, like, hey, we want to get rid of this guy. Like anybody, anybody want Evander Kane? We, we are selling Evander Kane for nothing. And that all comes from his reputation. And his reputation is that off the ice, uh, he has been accused of assault um, once in Vancouver, of sexual assault and sexual harassment, um, both times in New York. So I, you know, I looked at why they, they were able to get him cheap, and that's why. And that was something that really struck me right away that other writers weren't saying. There isn't a lot of media in San Jose that covers the Sharks. And they were all just like, oh, look, Doug Wilson did it. He did it again. He's got a steal here. And it's like, <laughs> there's a reason. Yeah. There is yeah. absolutely a reason. And none of them wanted to talk about it. So so I did in that article and breaking down the trade. And, you know, you also have to look at how that's going to affect your locker room. When you have someone like that who has been very volatile, he had a, a very um, bad experience in Winnipeg. You know, there was a whole Dustin Bufflin throwing his clothes in the shower kind of thing and all of that. <laughs> so, you know, you look at that when you look at the trade. So all of this came together and I was like, okay, I have to sit down and kind of figure out how, how we plan to cover it as a site because uh, I've, I've been pretty vocal on the intersection of sports and culture in the past, um, sports, culture, and kind of politics in there as well. And, um, you know, I know that our, our readership is very diverse. And so all I really set out to do was just set expectations, which is something I've kind of done in my run of, as managing editor is that I'm like, hey, here's what you guys can expect from me. And I do that every so often. Like, this is coming up. This is what we're doing. Here's, here's how the site's going to be run. And so that was all I was planning to do was just uh, here's how we're going to cover Kane because obviously I know that, you know, our, there are readers out there who are survivors of sexual assault. And I wanted them to be able to pre- prepare themselves, that they weren't going to be blindsided every time that they went to Fear the Fin. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of blew up. <laughs> I didn't realize I was making such a statement, but I was. And 
I think we've held to it. Every time that we have to talk about Kane, there was a, a game where he scored four, four goals. And I had to look at that game and, and that recap and really make sure that, you know, the main thing is that we don't want to play into this narrative that his off-ice history is a hurdle that he has to overcome by being good at hockey. And unfortunately, that's something that has happened a lot in the San Jose media over the last couple months. And uh, we have never played into that. I've stuck to that. I've been, uh, you know, really having conversations with my writers on making sure that that is something that we do not do. So uh, if we're shifting away from all of that, He's worked out really well for San Jose. I think right now he's playing injured, though. So <laughs> that's a little little sketch. But uh, after the trade deadline, I mean, he was one of the top scorers for, for the Sharks. He's really great um, on the ice. He, his penalty kill, he doesn't really play too much on the penalty kill. But he did actually, during one playoff game, and I think it was during round one, it was very strange. Um, but he's been kind of an asset on the power play. The Sharks have had to replace Joe Thornton. That's been the big thing. So Evander Kane uh, kind of slotted into that top line just with Joe Pavelski, who he had played with um, in the KHL for like 12 full games or something. <laughs> I mean, it was nothing. <laughs> it was for a hot second, just a minute. But they know each other. They have a relationship. So, uh, yeah, it's worked out really well. He, he's been phenomenal. Um, just I think right now he's playing injured, so the last couple games it's kind of obvious that he's not playing to the caliber that he's used to. But he has he, that's a, he's a history of that. He um he is a power forward, and his style of play he gets injured all the time. He's only played I think one full season in his entire career, and that was I think his second year um, with the Thrashers. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, but it's worked out well. If you know if they don't like you know what he's done the postseason, then uh there's not really an obligation to keep him either. I guess that conversation hasn't happened yet as far as we know. So yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's definitely, definitely something that's tough when you're uh, trying to talk about issues like this. Like we had a, a article about uh, Giovanni Smith, who's a, a prospect for us. And he was, um, you know, it, it came out that he had been, subjected to a lot of really terrible racial abuse um and you know so kyle from our site wrote an article about it and it ended up having to you know we ended up having to close the comments um i mean a a lot of the comments were fine like a lot of comments were good but you know just every so often you'd get one it's like okay we have to delete that we have to delete that and um you know it just I i mean i think i think on sb nation we do do a good job of talking about things like that. I think a lot of times our sites will bring up issues that the kind of more, you know, mainstream, you know, kind of traditional media ends up not talking about. Um, One thing I wanted to, like, I I always like, uh, usually it's our first question, but I jumped into (laughs) something else. I always like, um, you know, kind of talking about uh, like origin story, you know, how you came to be a hockey fan and how you came to, you know, like what was the journey that led you to, you know, where you are right now, managing editor of Fear the Fin, you know, you got a podcast, et cetera. So, so how, how did that happen for you? Oh, this is all really interesting too, because you didn't mention that I'm from Michigan. I actually live in Michigan. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) the question I always get is how I'm a Sharks fan um, living in Michigan, especially because I think people are still pretty bitter. Um, Jamie Baker had a a (laughs) little uh, moment there that (laughs) Red Wings fans aren't too fond of. And uh, <laughs> he's a play-by-play guy for the Sharks. So seeing his face all the time, 
is uh, not something my dad particularly appreciates. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I grew up in Michigan. So hockey is everywhere in Michigan. I'm from a very small town. You know, there aren't like hockey teams and high schools and stuff around here, but it's still just everywhere. I, Michigan sports culture, I think, is very unique and interesting. And um, and the Red Wings are a big part of that. And so, yeah, they pretty much represent the greatest positivity of the last 50 years, while other professional sports teams represent the deepest, <laughs> darkest, most shameful fan fanship that could have ever been bestowed. Exactly. Like, it, like if you're if you're bringing up the Lions at all, like you just deflect the conversation onto the Red Wings and everything's fine. <laughs> It's like you wonder how the, the, the Lions could figure out a way to just do what Vegas did in order to suddenly be successful. But I, I just I just don't know. Yeah. I like I really don't. But please continue. Yeah. This your this is this is your this is your yeah, art. Okay. <laughs> so uh, my dad was a big Red Wings fan and my brothers were as well. I have three older brothers. And you know, when you have four kids, you're not carting them off to Red Wings games. That's very expensive. <laughs> so we um, mostly went to uh, the Kalamazoo Wings, who at the time were part of the IHL. And, you know, we'd see them play like Grand Rapids and stuff like all of these kind of local teams. And and I in a way, I kind of I kind of always knew that it wasn't for me and that like I wasn't the reason that we were going to these games. It was always kind of, you know, I'm the only girl. I'm the youngest. It was about my brothers mm-hmm. and I was just kind of there. So. I loved it, but uh, at the same time, I always felt kind of on the outside of it. And so I started doing theater when I was very, very young, and that's what I kind of shifted my focus to. I I was in theater pretty much my whole life, <laughs> and in high school, actually, mm-hmm. our cast outing every show in the winter show, we would always go to a K-Wings game. So, like, I just kept going to K-Wings games when I was younger, and, you know, my, my dad was like I said, this huge Red Wings fan. So I always kind of, they were on my periphery, you know, it was the really just one of the greatest Red Wings teams. I mean, you know, you can't grow up in the nineties and not have some memories of the Red Wings, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> so then we, we get into college and my roommate, and this is like, just like this crazy thing. My roommate, her boyfriend's dad and his uncle owned the Muskegon Lumberjacks who it was, I think, their last season in the IHL. Um, it was right before they folded. and uh, Or, well, they were bought out and moved to Illinois, I believe, and it's a whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> so we went to a lot of Lumberjacks games that year, and I just kind of fell in love with the sport again. And so uh, I went to a, a hockey school. I went to Western. Uh, I saw Danny DeKaiser play there, uh, former Shark Matt Tennyson, <laughs> um, I think Jordan Esterly is with the Blackhawks organization now. I, he used to play for the Oilers, but I saw a lot of guys, you know, play for Western, and it was really cool, and they have such a cool fan base. Um, they call themselves the Lost and Lunatics, and, like, they have shirts and everything. It's a really cool thing. So I was super into hockey in college, but, like, never still. It still wasn't, like, the NHL I didn't care about. Like, I went, went to ECHL games. I went to uh, Western's games, and that was about it. But then when I left school, I got really sick and I was in the hospital for about a week and I had nothing to do. And it was, you know, it was like end of uh, November, I think. So it was like kind of like right when the season starts to solidify and teams kind of know who they are. And 
I just watched hockey for some reason in the hospital. I was in the hospital in Kalamazoo and I was just like, you know what? I got nothing else to do with my day. And so I just watched hockey nonstop and kind of fell back in love with it. How I ended up with the Sharks was that when that happened, I kind of just wanted to watch hockey all the time. I didn't care who was playing. I would look at the slate of games, who was playing for the night and go, ah, I think these guys. And uh, so there was one night I just kind of defaulted to, well, the Red Wings are like local, so let's just watch the Red Wings. And they happened to be playing the Sharks. And um, the thing about me bringing up theater uh, comes back at this point. I promise this is relevant because (laughs) what, what I kind of realized at some point is that the way that people react to sports is the same way that they do theater and that sports are theater and that historically they've always kind of been tied to the same purpose. And, you know, if you look at theater or improv theater mm-hmm. um, and then you look at sports, you've got a set of rules, you've got, you know, your universe that you're working in and you've got an objective and then you've got, you know, your audience that is reacting to that objective. And so in that way, like sports and theater are so inextricably tied to each other. And so that's kind of what really made me fall in love with sports was just like that same thing that made me fall in love with theater. And I'm watching, and this is before I got an HL TV. So I had to find a stream. I ended up with a sharks one <laughs> and they lowered the shark head onto the ice and it was just this moment of like pure theatricality oh boy. that like, like I've never felt that since like every time they lower the shark head, I'm just mm. like, Oh, but like, you know, you've got this entire arena that's just covered in teal and they lower the shark head out and the players <laughs> skate out through like this thick fog to seek and destroy. <laughs> and it was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> like this is amazing <laughs> and i honestly don't remember if they won that game or not i i think they did or i'm not 100 percent. but that night i just kind of went through youtube and i was watching all the sharks videos they actually do the series called the deep that do like props to the sharks media team because they're amazing incredible this is like one of the best ways to i think create new fans they just find little narratives and do like 10 minute videos on them throughout the season it, so I watched all of them, and and that that was my new team. I mean, they they skated really fast. They were good. Like I can't remember who scored in that game, but the goal was just thick. So I was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm, this is it. <laughs> I'm sold." <laughs> <laughs> so it was basically like your sliding doors moment. Um, if if the uh, the Red Wings had done something over the top, then then who knows? This might be a different uh, might be a different story. Maybe. I mean, you know, I. I, I liked going to Red Wings games because um, I had been to a couple at that point. Uh, and it just, it wasn't the same. Like there was, it's not the same vibe. I've been to San Jose. I've been to games there and it is just, oh, it's so cool. Like it's just so <laughs> over the top. I, I used to compare it almost to the ECHL because that's what I'm so used to is the kind of, the ECHL is fighting for fans all the time, right? So they mm. do these kind of obnoxious things to, <laughs> to try and you know make it a real community and and sharks games feel like that in a way so so yeah it was, it was really neat um at the same time i was watching a lot of dallas stars games at the time and they lower like this little star onto the ice that they skate out of it's nothing it's nothing compared to that shark <laughs> yeah although i mean you do have to say that the uh that the vegas golden knights definitely uh 
Def- definitely go for it during oh, their God, uh, their opening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like I, I kind of wonder if um if they pass around like uh like, like a giant turkey leg to all the people so they can get the full medieval <laughs> times experience. Uh, but yeah, so so speaking of like the uh, theatricality and the social media, uh, one of the things that I had, one of the questions I had listed is, um, I think this is probably going to be the picture for this uh, episode when it goes up on on Winging It in Motown. So um, Sharky uh, tweeted out a picture, I think it was yesterday, maybe today, of him with a cone around his head. Uh, and he said he has been prohibited from chomping on anyone's head. You know, basically <laughs> a parody of the the Brad Marchand thing. So, yeah. Obviously, now that you've said this, I know what the answer is going to be for you. But in terms of like for just the, the fan base, like how much does it help having a mascot that is entertaining and like people that know how to kind of use this um, in in a much better way than like let's say the Vegas hockey Twitter or um, the I think short lived. Uh, remember there was that Stanley Cup Twitter uh, where oh, basically yeah. everybody just collectively face palms for a couple of days. And I think, I think it went away or I, I could have maybe muted it, but um, yeah. So, 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 so what's it like to have like a really fun mascot and social media presence? Yeah. Uh, you know, again, that's one of those ways that it really ties to, to me and my history and being so involved with the ECHL uh, that they have to do that kind of stuff, but the sharks don't have to, they just do. And that's fun. Like, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I feel very um, privileged in that way that like other teams don't necessarily have that. Like the Sharks Twitter, uh, when that photo of Joe Thornton and Brent Burns walking around Pittsburgh shirtless went viral, like that was their profile picture. They, they do that. When uh, Nazim Kadri ripped out part of Joe Thornton's beard, they changed their bio to say, don't talk on our beards. Like, they're just fun. They like to have fun. They have a really good video team. Actually, I believe their videographer, he's from Michigan as well. So, uh, yeah. So they just have like this really good team. And and I think in a lot of ways, it's it was born out of almost necessity. People don't care about Pacific Division hockey that isn't the LA Kings or Connor McDavid. And and so it's been kind of hard to to fight to get that attention. I mean, a California team has been in the Western Conference final for the last eight years. And still they're always everyone's always rooting against them. You know, we saw that with the the Sharks 2016 Cup run where they made it to the Stanley Cup final and still they had to fight to get the media to be like, mm. maybe the Sharks might have a chance of winning the cup. And it's like they're literally in the final. Like, <laughs> yes, of course they have a chance. So, so they have to fight to get that kind of attention and, and, uh, they do such a good job of it. Like I, I can't sing enough of their business. They're, they're just so good. <laughs> yeah. So when, when, when you think about how far along Sharky has made his, his journey here to being this, this mascot, I just want to say congratulations because, <laughs> We had a mascot a long time ago. It's not something that we really talk about. Um, the Red Winger. Uh, it's when when you think about things that are basically gift wrapped to be successful in different parts of, of of an organization. Like to have a name, just the Sharks. Like you have so much at your disposal to do stuff with. Whereas right. you have the Red Wings sometimes, and you, people are like, they just got their logo from the uh, the Ohio you know state police 
logo. And first of all, you have to banish them into whatever corner of the earth that doesn't get sunlight. And then realize <laughs> that the Red Wing logo is actually a derived Montreal cycling club logo. But like, don't get me wrong, it's classic, it's great, but just please know I'm I'm just very jealous of having it, it could be a generic thing, and you could have done 800 different things with it, but I think the Sharks, now that we know that are basically run by Michigan people, maybe we don't have to hate them so much. <laughs> I think maybe we don't have to give them yeah. as much flack as, as as we always have. I mean, hey, what's a couple of consecutive ousters at, uh, during the playoffs or, you know, getting, getting uh, in the way of monumental history of 116-point team. You know, what What does that even mean in the final <laughs> score of things? Uh, you know, like, the really underrated thing about the Sharks, and, like, you know, a lot of older fans and stuff get this. Newer fans, they just see them as kind of, like, the cool teal team of the, the NHL. You know, they're a little, little different. But growing up in the 90s, I mean, like I said, I didn't super pay attention to the NHL when I was a kid. But I still knew the Sharks because the Sharks were so cool when we were kids. They were, you know, they had the coolest, like, gear. They had the teal jersey with a little bit of orange. And they always did those, like, kind of 90s graffiti-looking shirts and stuff. Like, being like a casual Sharks fan was so cool back then. And actually a lot of the Sharks players have pictures of themselves in Sharks gear when they were kids and they weren't even Sharks fans. It was just so cool to own shark stuff that I think that's always been their kind of legacy is like, we're the cool team <laughs> like, <laughs> that they leverage that uh, now to kind of their advantage. Yeah. Yeah. They, they really do. And if you could just, if you just knock it off for a while, I think, <laughs> I think, we'd, I think we'd really appreciate it. Um, so as the editor for, for the estimation blog, that means you have uh, obviously uh, many fingers and many pies in terms of the pipeline of players coming uh, into the shark tank. So uh, for myself, who doesn't really follow, you know, what your uh, organizational depth is going to look like uh, and, and for maybe for those listening, you know, cause again, I, I don't know if, Jumbo Joe is having a painting of himself made. So like the picture of Dorian Gray, where he can continue to play hockey. I'm not sure, but obviously the sun will set on the, the elder statesmen of, of the sharks and the, and the youth will come in. So is there, is there a player in the organization that we should keep an eye out for? Like, I, I know everybody is talking about it with the draft already kind of being uh, a hot topic uh, already, but you know, in, in your opinion, as, as the sharks are, continuing to stay competitive much like the rest of us are is there someone that you can like give us like a scoop on like the the people that'll be like you know i was talking with c morley on the internet and i i don't know how much stock to put into this but she's a voice i trust <laughs> that you really need to look out for player x so, so here's the thing about doug wilson is that he is terrible at the first round pick like, he is so bad. I think the last good one was probably Logan Couture, and they traded up to get Logan Couture because they had drafted uh, Jamie McGinn the year before, and all of the scouting reports were about those two players needing to play together forever. So he is really, really bad at that first-round pick. He's really, really great in the later rounds at finding, like, these just hidden gems. I'm really, really tied to this last year's draft class. Uh, it could be that I just did all of our draft day coverage. I wrote everything about all of them but uh, i think <laughs> yeah no big deal yeah, I, <laughs> I think he found some really really good talent uh it's just unfortunate that a lot of it is ncaa guys but at the time the san jose barracuda had just come off of a western conference final uh, they had reached that for the first time so there was this really successful barracuda team 
Well, then they got gutted by the Sharks, who lost Patrick Marlowe and a bunch of other guys. And it was just like, oh, well, what do we do now? <laughs> and so they they ended up getting gutted. And all of a sudden, there's no one on the Barracuda. And actually, the Barracuda were terrible for the first couple months of the season. Super surprising that they made it into playoffs by the end of the year. And the reason that they did was because of two players who were drafted last year. I believe Sasha was drafted in round six and Ivan was in round seven. But I might be a little messed up on that. But. Sasha Chemlevsky, who is from California, uh, he is incredible. He's playing with um, actually Logan Couture's old team, the Ottawa 67s, and he wears Logan Couture's old number <laughs> for the Ottawa 67s. He came down and he joined the Barracuda at the end of the season, as did Ivan Chekhov, or sorry, Chekovich, who is incredible the mm. two of them literally dragged the barracuda into playoffs <laughs> the barracuda went from being one of the worst mm. teams in the pacific to being the final team to get in and it is just because of those two players they are mm. absolutely incredible i honestly feel that sasha could make the sharks next year absolutely like he he has the talent it's just whether or not the sharks have the space for him and whether or not they're going to utilize him, one of the things that they, the issues that they had with Daniel Reagan is that they always wanted him to center the fourth line. And I think that in Buffalo, actually, he's been utilized on the wing, and he was utilized on the wing in the preseason. Very, very good. So I think expecting him to just center that fourth line with fourth mm-hmm. line line mates <laughs> did not help him to succeed. So you know, depending <laughs> on their usage, I think that Sasha could be an NHL caliber player next next year. Uh, the other, uh, obviously, Ivan is very, very good, might need a little more development. And then the other person who's going to be fighting for that space is Rudolph Sabalsers, who I believe got player of the year for the Barracuda. Absolutely incredible player. Very dynamic, but he's also very small. That's the only thing is that he is so small. <laughs> he got called up for a couple games, but we never actually saw him play. So he was, he was scratched. He was just there because a lot of injuries and stuff. And just in case. But uh, he could also be a surprise next year. Mm. Man, I mean, I I'm not looking forward to spelling some of those names in uh, upcoming recaps. Yeah, you could but, let uh, us have some of the cool names. Yeah, that'd be nice. But yeah. I do have to say that uh, that um, Ivan Chekovich is just like an amazing name, right? It, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. one of those perfect hockey names. Yeah, um, it's like I play hockey. Of course you do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah. I think Doug Wilson is finally letting Russians back into the organization, <laughs> and Ivan is his favorite. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're gonna let you go in a minute. Um, but first, I had one last question because we, you know, every time we do an interview, we open up our mailbag to our readers, and JJ's question was already covered. Uh, it was about the you know, your Michigan ties, etc. Um, but we did have another question from Groot Squad, and so we obviously always like when people send questions in. We don't always. You know, we're not always able to get to him. So I just want to make sure we get to this one. Uh, so the question is, uh, it's about Patrick Marlowe. Um, and he says, or it could be she, I don't know. Um, how different do you think this season would have been for the Sharks if Marlowe you know, stayed? And then did him uh, switching teams come as a shock? Okay. So we're going to answer the second part of that first. Because okay. uh, I don't know that it was necessarily a shock. We both we, we knew that both Marlowe and Thornton were were on the line and that you know the sharks weren't going to offer marlo the term that he wanted what i think was surprising about that scenario is that we all kind of expected that jumbo would be the one to leave i mean jumbo hasn't played his Mm. whole career in san jose and 
he could get a lot of money somewhere else. So so we all kind of expected that Jumbo would be the one to leave, that Patrick Marlowe would take that kind of the hometown like thing and and he would stay. So it was it was a little shocking that Marlowe ended up being the one to leave and uh, Thornton was actually waiting on Marlowe's decision and that he based his contract on what Marlowe did. And if Marlowe would have stayed, he would have taken a discount to stay and be able to play with Marlowe. So really heartbreaking and just like, it, it was a hard, hard summer for Sharks fans, definitely. The first picture of him in a, a Maple Leafs jersey just like destroyed Sharks Twitter. But <laughs> <laughs> as to where the team would be if Marlowe was still there, is not an answer that Sharks fans really want to admit. Like, we avoid the Marlowe topic because the reality is that without Patrick Marlowe, other team, uh, other people on this team is, have had to step up. We have so many players right now that are having career seasons. You have Chris Tierney up front, Kevin LeBanc, Timo Meyer, that are just coming into their own. And the reason they're doing that is because they've had to shift up the lineup. They've had to had to replace that production from day one. As soon as Marlo was gone, the thing that we heard in the locker room was that everyone has to step up and they took that to heart. It wasn't just one player that decided that they were going to fill in for Marlo. It was everyone. And so and I'm going to say this and I'm going to hate myself as soon as I say it, but Patrick Marlo leaving made this team a better team. And it made them better at working together and, and being able to do that. And, and so it, it's hard to say where they would be if he was still there, because obviously he's still very, very effective. Uh, he had an incredible year with Toronto, but I think if we come back in three years when his contract is over and reevaluate this situation, there's no doubt in my mind that the Sharks made the right move because they were never going to offer him that three-year contract. Yeah, it is kind of bonkers to like think of how crazy hockey can be with the butterfly effect because one, I mean, you, you want to be able to have a good, you know, thought process about, hey, who are your corner, cornerstone slash nucleus guys? And then where where does the team go when, when it isn't? So like, I feel like yours is a sobering situation. Like, yeah, you kind of had to let somebody go, but you're playing hockey in May <laughs> and <laughs> right. and everyone is a stronger team for it. So like the only way to, to, to see if that can happen is you do have to pull the, the trigger on some things. So, yeah. And plus, it, I mean, we all know Mitch Marner needed a dad, so yeah, it's working out. <laughs> not enough dads. Austin Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> totally not enough dads up in Canada for some reason. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Um, see, uh, I think we've taken you away from uh, the, the the game that could very well decide your mental health for the next six months. <laughs> so I uh, want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for those of you listening and have not already done what the rest of us had to do during this, which was make sure we go on and, and, and follow C, uh, she, you can follow her on Twitter at now, N-O-W, U-Y-O-U-C, but it's spelled like her name, which is S-I-E. And then M-E, now you see me. So please go on, give her a follow, especially now because if I check, there has yet to be a score. So if you want to see in real time what's happening to a Sharks (laughs) fan, not only that, a managing editor for the team for SB Nation, like get the popcorn ready because I'm going to be right there with you. So see, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
All right, and we're back. So, like we said before, we are recording this on Saturday evening. Right now, Pittsburgh, Washington is in, uh, let's see, about 10 minutes left in the first, and it is 1-0 Pittsburgh, although they're on the power play, so who knows if it's going to be 2-0 Pittsburgh soon, but we'll have to see what happens. Obviously, without having their, their heart and soul, Tom Wilson, the uh, the, the Washington Capitals are just collapsing. <laughs> so, um, so, okay, so, so Jay, what are your thoughts on this series so far? It's 2-2. Uh, game 5 is happening right now in Washington. Um, I mean, I think it's it's pretty easy to say that the team that wins this game is is probably going to win. I mean, I know that's like kind of an obvious thing, but I think, yeah. you know, I, I think especially if Pittsburgh wins, I think it's really going to be hard for Washington to, to, you know, come back together for, for game six. What do you think? I, I, I agree. I, I think, again, I just feel like the Penguins are obviously just a deeper team than, than, than Washington is. It's, it's really unfair kind of frustrating i have to give them credit a bunch of times but like kudos to the penguins being able to do what they what they've been doing um i have a, a fleeting feeling that this is going to go the distance with with pittsburgh still winning but you know with every i think it was uh, maybe it might have been either domlos chisholm or dave Lowe's who was saying like why why a five games why a five-game uh, playoff loss will me, me, makes the the Maple Leafs that much better, and then it's like 2017, and then the same for 2018, 2019, <laughs> and then like 2023. Why losing four games to Seattle makes Toronto a playoff <laughs> contender? So I feel like maybe Washington's in that type of boat right now. Yeah. There's, I mean, I the think prophetic oh. prophetic moment that I've been dreaming about, Pete, and I'll keep this short because. Again, I don't want to spoil it too much because I still like to hope that maybe one day it could happen. But this is going to be like the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to con- continue to beat Washington. But then, like, while the Penguins and the Caps are still in their prime, like, Alexander Ovechkin is going to single-handedly sweep the Penguins out the door with, like, four consecutive six-goal games. I know it's a, like the completely most outrageous fever dream that anybody could have. And even for myself, who I'm not a big Caps fan, like there are players on the Caps that I like, but I'm not a big Caps fan. But just there's something telling me it's like, don't the Penguins realize that with all the times they beat this team, they're like almost giving birth. It's like the Joker. It's like they're they're beating somebody down into submission so hard that something ridiculous is going to come out of this piling heap that you've beat into the earth. And it's going to be like you're going to reap what you sow. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I want this to go seven just because I'm really entertained by this still being a storyline. But who knows? You've only adopted the darkness. I was born in it. <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely. I think from watching this, it's it's just insane to me how – Every year you look at it and you're like, well, Pittsburgh, I don't know. You know, last year is like, you know, they don't have the tang. Then this year it's like, well, they're going up against the Capitals and they don't have Malkin for a while. Okay. And, and then all of a sudden, like, it's one of those things where I hate to say this, but just because of how immature he can still act, 
I mean, I really don't understand how people can not think that Sidney Crosby is just one of the best players ever. Yeah, I mean, he like I, I think the goal that was just scored in game five was the first Pittsburgh goal in this series. It was scored without him on the ice. Um, I mean, just like you think, OK, Pitt, there's no way Pittsburgh can do this. And somehow they do. And it always seems like Sidney Crosby is at the center of it. You know, like I said, I, I can totally understand. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel it, too, that. It's hard to it's hard to be praise you know it's hard to praise him because of like I said the way he acts sometimes but it's just astounding how year after year he is able to basically just carry his team um at you know when they need it the most so I I hope Washington wins I was I was rooting for them from the beginning I'm still rooting for them now um you know we're only halfway through the first period in game 5 so you know it's it's definitely not over yet um but one series that could be over tomorrow is uh, – well, could be yesterday by the time you listen to this – is Tampa Bay versus Boston. Tampa Bay has uh, gone from a 1-1 uh, series tie to jump out to win the last two games. And Sunday at 3 p.m., they are going to get the chance to finish Boston off. So do you think they do, Jay? I think that Tampa will do what needs to be done to stop – the licking. <laughs> they will do whatever it takes to stop the great licking of 2018. It's it needs it needs to be done. To allow it to go further, Pete, is is tantamount to treason. That's 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 simple. I again it doesn't matter who's coming out of the East because the Jets are gonna win it all. But still, it's I'd I'd rather a clean, non-tongue involved Stanley Cup final. And the only way to get through that is, is for Tampa to do what they're supposed to do. So, yes, I think Tampa's well, going to close this not out. Not necessarily. Uh, do you mean Eastern Conference final? The uh, Again, the Jets are winning it all, Peter. No. I don't know how much clearer I can be about this. Right, but if, the Jets are going to win everything, but if Boston and, wins, and I want a Stanley to, Cup playoff. Yeah, but if Boston wins, they still have to play Pittsburgh or Washington. Yeah, but then Pittsburgh's going to do what needs to be done, ah, and then hopefully they, they do it there. So, again, all I'm saying is, Tampa can do the world a tremendous favor by just ending. They they could totally say, Anakin Skywalker, you can't be a Jedi. Get off my planet. Go away. Yeah. Because without the training, he doesn't become Darth Vader. That's a fact. Look it up, people. I, I really hope that um, Ryan, Hall- Ryan Callahan gets sponsored by Timex, if it still exists. Uh, because of their famous <laughs> slogan, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Now, yep. now who knows? Maybe, hey. maybe, maybe there's no Timex anymore. I don't know. But I'm going to hold on to hope because that's what I that's what I want. Um, that's what we do here. With uh, with with full deference to uh, recent future, uh, recent and, and future for sure interview guest Colin Beswick. I I was rooting. I've been rooting for Tampa Bay to win this series. Honestly, basically, just because. I can't root for Brad Marchand. I, I just want him out. And like, it really is that simple. I think, uh, you know, th- th- there's players that I admire on both of the teams. You know, I definitely really admire Patrice Bergeron, Zidane Ochara, et cetera. Um, and on the, on the lightning side, you know, I admire Kucherov and Hedman and Samkos. I think they're, they're all really good players, but I, I just can't, I, I don't want to live in a world where Brad Marchand wins the Stanley cup again. So, um, 
I'm I'm hoping for Tampa Bay. I I do think they close it out. I think that they close it out um, either uh, tomorrow or or the next game. I I, I don't think this is going to go seven. I think Tampa will win one of these next two. Um, so now we're going to head out west. All right. So we have uh, let's see. First we have Vegas and San Jose. So right now Vegas leads three to two, which is surprising i i really didn't think they had much of a chance in this round although i've learned by now that i should just throw everything i expect out the window when it comes to vegas because somehow they live in some kind of alternate universe and nothing bad can ever happen to them and william carlson has scored i think i think the stat line is he has like 15 goals on 10 shots so he is just playing out of his mind he's you know, it's like 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 they drop the puck and he gets the pass and scores or something ridiculous. So uh, he is just playing out of his mind. But so, do you think? Uh, do you think San Jose comes back? Well, I mean, again, by the time people are listening to this, that series could already be done. And we're already talking about the 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 Western Conference Final that I prophesized and will absolutely come true, which is Jets uh, Jets Knights. Uh, but. I don't know if, if I, it'd be fun to listen to this episode while eating my words. Yes, I think Vegas is going to close this out. But again, the effort it takes to sweep a team and then outlast a team will combine to being a tired team when you meet the all awesome wrath of the Winnipeg Jets. So I, I think uh, the Knights have this in hand. I think, but that's what's so weird because they're just learning. They're just learning so much. Every day is the first day for them, right? Yeah. So they're 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 performing well under all the adversity, you know, a lot of, think of how crazy this is where for the most part, 30 other teams for the last umpteen years had players that like you had to gradually ease your way to become a playoff team. They just became a playoff team. So all of these players have this ridiculous expectation about the ease of what it takes to win in this league. So this could ultimately Forge them as the greatest hockey team to ever take the ice, or you're going to have a lot of players overestimating their abilities. And gosh, you know, we might be looking at the 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 Knights relocating to Atlanta. You never know. So yeah, that's that's. My, I, I don't know. Yes, yes. San Jose is good. I get that, but I just we already know the improbable run that they run. It just you know, hey, sorry, Sharks. It had to. Be, you just had to be a, a, a depth and try and go deep in the playoffs the year the Knights became a thing. Sorry, that's that's on you. You could have avoided this. The Wings did it. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm going to hold on to what I predicted. I think that the Sharks are going to come back. But I, again, will not be surprised to be wrong. I am going to pick the other like the winner of the other series against the Knights and when the Knights make the, the Stanley Cup finals, I will pick the Eastern team and I will probably be wrong again. Uh, so the last series is the Winnipeg Jets versus the Nashville Predators. The Winnipeg Jets are Jay's uh, uh, pick for the playoffs. And have you seen anything to make you question that? Not really. Um, I think they have, again, that 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 might change depending upon what the conference final will look like, because I think Winnipeg facing Minnesota and uh, Nashville in the first two rounds 
is a good mix of like a team that's like ah, trying to get its stuff together. And then Nashville is like, we are in this to win the whole damn thing. And to, to be on the verge of, of, of closing them out um, it, with, with two more W's. I, I think that's, I think that's great. And I, I think their, their, their biggest test has been Nashville so far. And, and that's what you want them to be because they are still going to face a big test in the Knights because the, again, I, I, I'm, I am having a Doc Brown vision about all of this. It's I had a vision, a revelation. It's going to be the Jets. So, no, I have not seen anything yet. I think Connor Hellbuck is a man possessed right now, and I, it's it's a Hellbuck world, and we're all just living yeah. it. I st- going into the series, I really thought that Nashville was going to win it, not. I, I don't want to say easily at all because I thought that this was going to be – for my money, this was going to be probably the best series of the whole playoffs, uh, you know, looking at it from the beginning. And and I, I do kind of feel justified in that because it has just been an absolute barn burner every single game. So uh, I, I went with Nashville before. I, I'm still going to stick with them, but at the same time – you know, I I would not be surprised if you end up being right about Winnipeg. They have, um, you know, they're, they're to me they've been the second best team in the playoffs, if not the best. I think you know, th- I think these two teams have been the two best. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You always have to remember uh, with with Pekka Rene, he uh, he he seems to have a, a, a stretch in the playoffs where he kind of goes away for a little while uh, from from being good Pekka. And I think that that might, you know, if, if that happens in one of these next couple of games, I mean, that, that, that could be the series. So keep an eye on this one. I think that the winner of this series is going to be probably the favorite to win it all. Thank you for listening to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. Rather than end with our traditional ending, we are going to close this episode by saying goodbye to a hockey legend. Bill Torrey died on Thursday at the age of 83. Torrey was best known for building the New York Islanders from entering the league as an expansion team to their four straight Stanley Cups starting seven years later. Torrey built a successful team by first bringing in coach Al Arbor, who currently sits third all time in NHL wins with 782. He then acquired such players as Denny Potman, Ken Morrow, Brian Trottier, Billy Smith, Mike Bossy, Clark Gillies, Butch Goring, and Bob Bourne. The team he built is the last team in NHL history to have won not only three straight Stanley Cups, but four straight. They also hold the NHL record for consecutive playoff series with 19 since they lost to the Edmonton Oilers in the Stanley Cup Finals. Later in his career, he was hired by the expansion Florida Panthers to be their team president in 1993. Along with general manager Bobby Clark, the team they assembled went to the Stanley Cup Finals in the team's third year. Tori was one of the most respected people in hockey, and we send our condolences to his family. Rest in peace, Bill Tori, the architect. For sure. 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 For sure, for sure. For sure. For sure, for sure. For sure.